Lord God, we, we thank you that you have a special call on each of us and that your call is precious. We thank you, Lord, that you are unbelievably patient with us when we don't get it or when we are reluctant to follow or sometimes even refuse. And Lord, we pray today for the word that you have for us to hear. And Lord, like Samuel, we want to say, Lord, speak to us. Thank you that you have a specific word for each one of us as individuals, for us corporately as, as a mishpacha, as a congregation. We pray, Lord, that we would hear it and latch onto it and grab it by faith and apply it and grow by it. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Um, how many have read the book of Hosea more than once? Wow, I'm impressed. How many have come away just absolutely delighted and built up in your relationship with God? Um, you know, that, that last verse in uh, the complete Jewish Bible, which, by the way, in the Hebrew Bibles is part of chapter 14 in English Bibles are, is not. Uh, it's tough stuff. I mean, you know, there's no way to get around it. And so I think for most of us, reading Hosea is, is looking with a magnifying glass for, for those precious places where we can yank out one of the promises to put in the, in the book of promises and so we can encourage ourselves for a given day. I'm, in reality, folks, Hosea is a tough book. You know, God tells this guy to go and, and marry a prostitute, a whore, as an object lesson that Israel has been a prostitute and that he is committed to the nation despite the fact that they've gone a whoring. I mean, it's, I, I don't think any of us can put ourselves in, in that place. Thank you, Lord. And uh, like the other prophets, they're graphic. They're graphic. The messages of judgment are graphic, are severe. Are, they, they, leave us, they leave us stunned. Because we know on one hand that the Lord is a loving God, and yet we see these graphic images of God's severe judgment. We don't really know what to do with it. And yet, interspersed throughout these messages of judgment are, are these incredible passages that speak about God's restoration to Israel. And it's not one of these possible, perhaps, but it is a definitive statement that the power of God will be unleashed and put to work and bring Israel into repentance and through the nation of Israel bring God's message and salvation to all of mankind. So the short version of this is that both the messages of judgment and the messages of encouragement are given for a particular purpose. And you know, part of what I feel the Lord has been doing with me over the last couple of years 
is to be able to step back from the preoccupation with the individual, um, my individual need to find something meaty and wonderful for me in the Word of God, which is understandable, and, and we need that. Uh, all of us need to be fed and challenged and encouraged indiv- as individuals. But to be able to step back and say, okay, God, you're going to take care of me, and I'm secure in you, and you have kept me going through all kinds of ups and downs. And I want to be able to step back and see what is your larger plan, not just for me, but during these special holidays, your special plan for the nation of Israel and through the nation of Israel for the world. And as I understand that, then I want to be able to get from you what is the part that you have for me to play in that. You understand the difference in perspective rather than saying, Lord, this is all about me and you need to feed me and encouraging me. Being able to step back and see what God wants to do. What is the heart of God more broadly, more fully, and then say, okay, Lord, I get it. I get the bigger picture. Now, what is the part that you have for me in this? And I believe this is what God has been saying to me. And I anticipate that this is what you're going to be hearing a lot for the next few weeks in the sermons that are related to the holidays from now through September and October. I want to take a moment and just talk a little bit about Hosea. Hosea lived in the 8th century, which is about 2,700 years ago, um, in a time of great apostasy. You know, we kvetch and complain about, about the country, about the culture, about society, about, about President Obama. And, and by the way, I got a pretty um, rank email about the president and I hope that you remember that the Torah instructs us not to curse God and not to curse the ruler. Hope that you don't engage in Obama bashing. Not not cool as far as God is concerned. Um, but the nation the nation is involved in Baal worship. They're involved in the worship of the golden calves. One of them is in the north of Israel. The other, the other one is in the south of Israel. Um, that's been going on for pretty close to 300 years at this point. And the cup of iniquity of the northern kingdom, by the way, Israel here is a northern kingdom. Judah is a southern kingdom. The cup of iniquity has been rising up and God has been incredibly patient with Israel and you know one of the things that is so special about the prophets like nowhere else in scripture you see God's emotions you know part of what people used to think you know God was immutable he is unchangeable you know he's uh, he decrees something it happens he has no he doesn't get his hands mucked up in in our humanity. That's really not the case. You read the prophets, especially Hosea, and you see the heart of God being torn several different ways, and and it's 
it makes you stagger because the Lord sometimes looks like he is um, a jilted lover. Let me read to you one, one verse and please just listen. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. A couple of very powerful words. One of them, Hafach, has to do with sort of a revolution. God's, God's inside are being turned upside down. The other word has to do with God being aroused with anger. And what is incredible is that the master of the universe sounds confused here. Because on one hand, he, he desperately wants to nuke the nation of Israel for their sin, their apostasy. They, they slapped him in the face every which way that's possible on one hand. Um, on the other hand, he says, you are my kids. You are my kids, and I can't do that. And if you're a parent, you understand sometimes your kid drives you to distraction and in your lesser moments, and please don't repeat this, folks. In your lesser moments, you want to reach out and choke them. You didn't hear, you didn't hear me say that. Okay. Um, but, but, but you're just frustrated. You're angry. You, you, you're, you love them. You're, they, they drive you mishugi. And that's what God is saying in Hosea all throughout this book. And he would be well justified in washing his hands like, by the way, a big chunk of, of the church has claimed over the centuries. And he doesn't. He begins this chapter, verse 1, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have been your downfall. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Now, you know, typically when we talk about repentance, we confuse that with remorse. I did something stupid. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I don't think I'm going to do that again. That's not repentance, folks. First of all, repentance, as you see repentance in the prophets, it is always person-related. It is always related to God. Return not to something, but to someone. Return to the Lord. Again and again, return to the Lord your God. And God expresses his hurt. And, and as you learn to see this throughout scripture, you'll see that what Israel did was not some abstract breaking of God's law, but it was a breach of the covenant. It was breaking of the covenant between God and, and the people, the people and, and himself. For example, in Joshua, it speaks about the sin of Achan, the, the people of Israel acted unfaithfully in regards to the devoted things. And the, the word that's used there, ma'al, literally means treachery. 
As I mentioned before, in the prophets you see a lot the word prostitution used in reference to Israel and to idol worship. That's a very, very emotionally raw word. Uncomfortable. And again, we find the heart of God being expressed passionately through this. You have on one hand the fact that he's heartbroken. On the other hand, you have God's compassion. And as you read the prophets, you see that they drip with emotion. Despite the incredible hurt that he's experienced, and over and over and over and over again, the Lord stands, and when he says, repent, he doesn't speak it as a judge who is indifferent, but as, as, as a father, as a husband who is passionately concerned. You see that, for example, in Ezekiel 33, verse 11, say to them, surely as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they should turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will you die? Do, do you get the, the sense of pathos there? Um, the heartache on the part of God calling out to Israel like a father calling out to a son or a daughter who is prodigal. It's emotional. And it's a powerful call. And by the way, this is one, this is the main reason why this passage is recited during the week during, on the Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur which is called Shabbat Shuvah, the Shabbat of Repentance. It's part of the encouragement for the uh, Jewish people in a, in a traditional synagogue to hear the voice of God and to come. But folks, w we cannot get our arms around repentance unless we really understand the heart of God. Because otherwise, repentance is either some kind of a concept way out there or else if we get it, it's something that's wrapped up in guilt and obligation. As, and I got to repent. If I don't repent, God is going to whoop me. And I'm going to miss out on his blessing. Well, that's true. However, we really don't express a great deal of appreciation for who, who God is and what he has to say to us. Repentance, first of all, is based on God's unbelievable, relentless chesed. It's compassion and covenant committed love. Do you know how much God loves you? Are you aware of the fact that you and I, as individuals do enough in our lifetime to justify God to zap us, to nuke us. That's reality. You know, uh, I'm grateful that 
the videos from my life are not being played on the screen here. I'm sure we could all say amen to that. Unless you happen to be one of these folks who consider themselves to be unbelievably righteous. But David says, O oh Lord, if you kept record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared in a sense of awe. Psalm 130. Lamentation, chapter 3. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We're not consumed for his compassion. Never fail. Part of the lies that our society and sometimes fellow believers pitch to us is the fact that God is a severe God of judgment. Yes, God judges, and yes, God is severe. You know, you read Hosea, the verse we just read before, and you see that there is severe judgment. What we have to remember is that God waits forever and is patient with people, and really more to the point when he presents himself to us, what he wants to present is not the severity, but the mercy. Paul gets it. In Romans chapter 2, he says, don't you understand that it is God's goodness, his chesed, that leads us to repentance? Well, what does he mean by that? Have you ever done something stupid? <laughs> All right. I, uh, that those who are in relationship with you friends or family would have been justified to get on your case and, and to really give you a bad time and they didn't. And what happened? Hopefully your heart melted. And sometimes when we do something stupid and we wake up and smell the coffee and we stand in the presence of God and, and we are we shrink in his presence because we realize he would have been justified to do to us what he did to the two sons of Aaron, you know, where the fire came out of the presence of God and consumed them. And yet God is merciful and compassionate and it melts your heart. It melts your heart. I hope it melts your heart. If it doesn't, you have a hard heart. Repentance always has to begin with us connecting with a basic scriptural principle that God is compassionate and merciful to us despite our foolishness. He's merciful. He also deals in truth. And this is the thing that warms my heart is as you read the word of God, you don't have the record of Israel or even of the followers of Yeshua in the book of Acts as some glorious uh, episode of, of absolute holiness and righteousness. You have things played out in all their ugliness, including in the New Testament, if you're not familiar with that. And God doesn't airbrush it. He deals in honesty. When he calls to Israel to return, to repent, 
repent. Because what you have done is utterly stupid. By the way, part of what you see sometimes in Scripture is what I would call these, these literary sandwiches where you have a statement made up here and then you have a statement made down here, the same kind of statement, and then you have stuff in between. And you have this literary sandwich here in verse 1 and then verse 9. You have, two Hebrew, you have a Hebrew verb that basically has to do with falling and stuttering and stumbling, kashal, um, something like what you see with a person who, who is drunk out of their mind. Return, O Israel, because you have stumbled. You, you have done, you've gotten yourself stoned out of your mind and you're about to go off a cliff. Verse, uh, verse 9, there's a similar, this same kind of word. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. But transgressors will stumble in them. Same kind of word. So you have this literary sandwich, and in between, you have God's call to Israel to repent. Repent. By the way, three words are used here for, for sin or stupidity uh, to convey the fact that the path of the sinner is perversion. It's not the right path. It's perversion and it's a twisted path and it's self-defeating. Let me just rattle through these real quick if you're taking notes. Avon in verse 1 means wickedness, perversion. Meshuvah means turning away from what is good or apostasy. And the third word in verse 9 here, pesha, means out and out rank rebellion. It's not just saying, Lord, meh, you're asking something that's kind of hard and I'm having a hard day and I don't think I can do this. No, pesha is out and out rebellion. Where God lays down something specific for you to do and you stand up and, and shake your fist in God's face and you say no forget it perhaps I'm exaggerating the strength of it but you, you get the message it's rebellion and all of that is something that is self-defeating and it takes different forms in verse 3 Assyria cannot save us we will not mount war horses we will never again say our gods to that which our hands have made. Let me just take a moment and, and talk about these. Because that's not just Israel, folks. That's us. What, what does Scripture mean to us when it speaks about depending on Assyria? Well, in Israel's case, or in Judah's case, actually, there was a war, and a war between... Judah in the south and Israel in the north and Syria also in the northwest. And Judah invited the Assyrian Empire to come and help them out. That's sort of like asking the fox to come and guard the hen house. And whenever we do that, whenever we 
depend and put our weight on other people. It's the same kind of principle. It's asking Assyria to help us out instead of turning to the Lord and asking Him to help us out. The second part of this is riding on horses. Well, that's sort of like the uh, chariot corps or in our day, that would be like the tank corps. You know, the heavy-duty weaponry that we come up with, which, by the way, modern Israel does. The IDF has the iron shield to protect itself from any incoming missiles. We do that as well. Sometimes we feel like we don't need God's help because we'll grit our teeth and we'll somehow get through it, which is unbelievable, stup- unbelievably stupid. And then the third aspect of this sin, perversion, is making idols. Now, do we make idols? Yes, we make idols. An idol is anything that we exalt that we put greater emphasis, greater devotion, greater care, greater time than God. I know I'm stepping on bunions here. Mine included. Repentance involves looking at all of that, looking at emphasis on Assyria, on the chariots, and on the idols and saying, I don't want to go there. Following the Lord is smart. There are consequences to our sin. Paul puts it this way, do not deceived, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows, the one who reaps, who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction, the one who sows to the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life you either make a determination to cleave to the Lord with both hands and both feet or else you make a determination to do your to to live life your way and you pay for it you pay for it we see that in Israel and by the way we see that with the church this is the What boggles my mind, I was reading this wonderful commentary and uh, he made this statement that just want me to reach out through the pages and um, minister the love of Yeshua with both hands. Here's what he said, the Israel which has seen this promise as it's begun to be ultimately filled is the church of Christ. The church has inherited the restoration promises of Hosea and the rest of the Old Testament. Jewish answer, yes and no. What about the curses and judgment that belong to Israel? Do you very neatly insert yourself and say, curses for Israel, blessings for us? What does that say about the nature of God and and who he is and how it works. Peter tells us the exact opposite. It is time for judgment to begin with the heart with the family of God. Did you catch that? Judgment begins with the house of God, with us, with you and I. 
because we worship a holy God and he hates sin, including ours. That's part one, folks, of repentance. It's part one of restoration is to get our arms around the fact that the Lord is a holy God. He wants to bring about purity, refining. He wants to divide and separate in our life what is not of Him so that He can bring about restoration. That's really the heart of God, folks. And Hosea puts it in such flowery language. I will heal their waywardness and I will love them freely for my anger has been turned away from them. We already talked about the waywardness. I will love them freely. The word for love there, ahava, usually means affection. I would love them not only with chesed, with a committed, loyal kind of love, but I would love them affectionately and freely. Nedava, by the way, is the word that's used for free will offering. I would love them graciously, wildly, because they've turned. And that's God's heart for Israel, folks. And that is why we spend time praying and, and, and we are wanting to be engaged in getting the word of God out to people who don't know the Lord particularly in the Jewish community. Why? Because that's part of God's heart, part of God's desire, part of what he predicts will actually happen. And you know, sometimes I've talked to pastor friends who read these glowing promises of God's restoration of Israel, and they get resentful. They say, so what am I, chopped liver? In other words, why Israel? Just because of the genetics. What about me? I'm a Gentile. Does God not love me? I hope you're not one of these folks who asks that kind of question here. Because scripture is very emphatic that the, that the Lord has lavished, he's poured out his love on all of us, Jews and Gentiles. Don't be jealous of what he has for Israel because if God fulfills what he has for Israel... What does that show you about the kind of God he is? He's a faithful God, and what he's promised you will come about, just like what he's promised Israel will come about. And remember that Israel was not selected by God because we're cute and clever. Israel was selected by God to be the vehicle to bless all the nations, and that will happen. If the transgression means riches to the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater will their fullness bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles as much, in as much as I'm apostle to the Gentiles. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? 
Folks, when Israel, when God does his massive work of restoration and reconciliation with Israel, it's going to bring about massive transformation for all of mankind, for all the nations. God's covenant promises for Israel will bless the rest of the nations. We see that all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. We see it here in Isaiah 14, 7. Men will dwell again in the shade, in the shadow. He will flourish like the grain. He will blossom like a vine, and his fame will be like the wine from Lebanon. Eugene Peterson in the message a paraphrase put, puts it this way. Those who live near him will be blessed by him, be blessed and prosper like the golden grain. Everyone will be talking about them, spreading their fame as the vintage children of God. Wow. What God does with Israel, folks, ripples outward. Ripples outward. And perhaps you can't see it right now because some of it is happening. By the way, Israel is sending missionaries to other countries in the world. Did you know that? But part of the message here is is simply this. As God gets a hold of the nation of Israel, the fame of Israel but Israel's God will spread broadly. And that's really what this is all about, folks. It is that way for Israel. It is that way for us. As God brings about repentance and restoration in our lives, it ripples outward to other people who watch us, who observe us, and see what takes place in us and are drawn to Yeshua in us. That's what the Lord said, let your light let your light shine that men may, may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So this is part of what God has for the nation of Israel. This repentance and restoration. It is also what the Lord has for us as individuals. Abba Father is waiting for us to come in repentance. Receive his healing and his love in areas where we've been out of line. And the truth is, folks, each one of us has pockets in our life that are out of line with God's will. Areas where we think we know, perhaps we do know what God wants and we just struggle and and we deal with sin that's intractable. And we're busy with our own life, with our own agenda, doing our own thing and sometimes we veer off the path. And part of what's encouraging here is we have the assurance that Abba Father is waiting, that he's merciful, that he wants to draw us 
into a place of repentance and restoration. Part of the process is that as we do that, as we understand that, then our love for the Lord will increase because we see His mercy. We see the fact that He would be justified in in punishing us severely and He doesn't. And what the Lord does with us, He wants to do on a much broader scale. Remember that yes, the Lord has special and awesome plans for each one of us, but He has much bigger plans for people beyond us. I'd like to ask that we stand for a moment. In a few moments, we will have the concluding songs. But I just felt led to ask that we just pause quietly and say, Lord, you have laser vision. Would you please point out things in my life that I'm clueless, that I'm oblivious, that really need to be dealt with or perhaps I'm aware of. I want to repent. I want to change. Repentance, by the way, is going this way and then turning 180 degrees. Say to the Lord, Lord, I want to experience repentance, which leads to cleansing, which leads to restoration, which leads to blessing for me and ripples outward. Do you know that God wants that for you? Take a moment or so just to have this conversation with the Lord and invite Him Give him control to come into all these areas in your life, to all the closets, to all the rooms, and say, Lord, perhaps there's a closet that's full of junk. Would you please come and bring about cleansing? Invite him. And then also say, Lord, I want to be your hands. I want to be your hands. Yes, I have stuff, but you are able to use me, the pot of clay that I am, to, to touch other people. Let's do that. Hallelujah. Lord God, we thank you for your unbelievable, relentless compassion that is played out in the pages of your word. Lord God, we ask that you'd open our eyes and give us a greater understanding, Lord, of what that looks like. Lord, spiritual truths are spiritually discerned. We pray, Lord God, that you would bless us with that discernment. First of all, Lord, to know you better. Pray for that spirit of knowledge and revelation to know you better. And Lord, as we know you better, And Father God, as we understand your heart for us, we pray, Lord God, that you will give us a much more acute understanding, Lord, acute awareness and knowledge of your heart for other people. 
Cause us, Lord God, to be sensitized to what you do, want to do through us to touch the lives of other people. And we pray that in this season of repentance, we pray, Lord God, that you would bring about an awareness of your goodness that leads to repentance. That we would be a holy people as you're a holy God. That others will see who you are. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.